from the Ecology Prime Studios. This is Circle for Original Thinking. I'm your host, Glenn Apodicio Perry. Welcome to Circle for Original Thinking, America's electronic talking circle for visionary thinkers. An open forum for fresh ideas and timeless wisdom applied to today's political and ecological challenges. Each week, we bring together creative thinkers from a variety of different traditions. We ask the hard questions on the important issues of the day. Political polarization, climate change, virulent viruses, and other symptoms of humanity being out of balance with the natural world. Our goal is to recreate a whole in sacred America, a new and improved version of E Pluribus Unum, from the many to the one, and this time not leave anybody out. Join us as we embark on this quest. This week, in honor of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing on Friday, September 18th, we will not have any guests on the program. Tomorrow, Ruth Bader Ginsburg will be the first ever woman to lie in state at the U.S. Capitol. I want to say a few words from my heart about RBG, what she means to me, what she means to the nation. But I can't really speak for the whole nation. I ultimately can only speak for myself. As I wrote about in Original Politics, this nation was founded on largely on Native American ideals of liberty, equality, and natural rights. I see the sacred purpose of this nation as unity in diversity. But although the nation was founded on these beautiful egalitarian ideals, those ideals had not been realized at all at the nation's founding. And over time, they have, we've come a little bit closer to realizing those ideals, but we still have a very long way to go. The founding fathers left out women, which was not the case in Native American cultures at all. Women were not left out of the political process in Native America, but the founding fathers did leave out women. They also left out, obviously, people of color. It's often said that this nation was founded on the original sin of slavery, and sometimes it's said that this nation was founded on genocide of Native Americans. Now, I've discussed in detail, I don't really feel the nation was founded on genocide of Native Americans, at least not entirely, because it was also founded upon friendship. Some of those values that came from Native America came about because of friendship between some of the founding fathers and Native American elders, um, like Chief Conostego of the Onondaga Nation, who gave the very idea of uniting the colonies to Ben Franklin. So, in the beginning of the nation, the, the, the nation was a hybrid of Native America and European values. Those beautiful egalitarian ideals of liberty, equality, and natural rights were not taken by the Founding Fathers, so they left out the women and the people of color, so they created a shadow that we 
over time, have begun to overcome. Like Theodore Parker said, the the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice, something that Martin Luther King liked to quote and Barack Obama. So we have made a certain kind of progress. But that progress has been hard fought, and it's come in fits and starts with backlashes. On this program, we've we've had some, already in the short time that we've been on the air, we've had some important people. Dr. Sally Roche-Wagner was on the program with Congresswoman Deb Holland, talking about how the how Native American women, also Haudenosaunee women largely, influenced the founding mothers of the 19th century, people like Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Lucretia Mott, and Matilda Gage, to aspire for full equality for women. When the 19th century women's movement started, and when they were, when they were doing things like the 1848 Seneca Falls Conference. This was not about women getting the right to vote. This was about women being fully equal. And they wrote a document even saying so that uh, it sounded a lot like the original Declaration of Independence when in the course of human events. And it went on to speak about that all men and women are created equal. That's what those 19th century women aspired to. They only took the fallback position of scaling back their goal to achieve suffrage when they saw that as a more achievable goal. And they went about those goals hand in hand with the, with the abolitionist movement throughout the 19th century. And it's only after the Civil War when it looks like suffrage for male blacks may be possible, more possible. That's when the women's movement and the abolitionist movement parted ways. And Elizabeth Cady Stanton says to Frederick Douglass, we can't part ways because that's going to set the women's movement back for decades. And she was right. But Frederick Douglass said if we, if the, if the men don't go ahead and obtain suffrage, then we might set both movements back for decades. And we don't know. He could have been right also. We don't know. We do know that it's been a struggle for women to obtain equality. That struggle continued. The struggle for blacks, just because they were they were freed and the Emancipation Proclamation has continued to this day. Maybe it's in part because Abraham Lincoln was assassinated and his successor, Andrew Johnson, tried to roll back what he had achieved. But we don't know that either. We only know that there was a backlash and that and that African-Americans were held back in certain ways. We only know that when women achieved Universal suffrage in 1920, we know that women of color were still prevented from voting. And really, we had to have the Voting Rights of, Voting Rights Act of 1965 to allow women to be able to, women of color to be able to vote freely. And now that has been rolled back in part by the Supreme Court. 
And in rolling back the Voting Rights Act, Chief Justice John Roberts said that our country has changed. And you can understand, you may not agree with him, I don't, but you can understand why he took that position, because at the time, Barack Obama was president of the United States. We had an African-American president of the United States approximately 150 years after the Civil War. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg said then that that to that to cut to gut the Voting Rights Act was the equivalent of of walking out in the rainstorm with it and taking away the umbrella because you haven't been you haven't been wet yet. She felt in her dissent that we needed those protections still. I feel she was right. When I think of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I I think of uh, a lot of very important women in my life. I think of my own mother. My own mother, who was a New York Jewish liberal with beautiful ideals, instilled a lot of them in, my, in me for equality for all people. Through my mother, I became a lifetime member of the NAACP when I was like 10 years old. My mother, you know, was not, did not limit herself, really. I mean, she was a writer before she had children, and after that she went to graduate school and went on to get a Ph.D., And I think she instilled a lot of those values in my sister, Linda, who felt that she could achieve anything in the world. I think also in my brother, Neil. You know, so we were blessed in our family because my father also felt the same to to know that that we should have equality for all peoples. My father grew up in Harlem from age one, 139th Street. So so uh, in the Harlem Renaissance, because he was born in 1922, so from 1923 he was in Harlem with the likes of Langston Hughes and W.E. Du Bois. And, yeah, I studied the Harlem Renaissance in high school, and I... And didn't even realize till later why I was so drawn to the Harlem Renaissance. It's probably because my father was born there. But I digress. Mainly when I think of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I think of important women in my life. And I know that women revere her, and rightly so. And I recognize that I may not feel the loss of Ruth Bader Ginsburg in, in the same way that that women do. But I do feel the loss of Ruth Bader Ginsburg very deeply. I feel it as a human loss. And I think that, in my opinion, we can't think of Ruth Bader Ginsburg only as a champion of women's rights because she was really a champion of rights of all peoples. She was a champion of 
equality. And she became very famous arguing in front of the Supreme Court for widower's rights. And that paved the pathway. She knew how to, how to undo the precedent that had been set. By arguing for a man, she opened up equality for women and all people. Later becomes a strong advocate of LGBTQ people and all people. That's what Ruth Bader Ginsburg was ultimately about. So I think that we, in my opinion, we we can't think of Ruth Bader Ginsburg only as a champion for women. And what came to mind literally fell on my desk this morning. I was surprised to see it, but a quote from a book called Meetings with Remarkable Women by Lenore Friedman. And and Lenore is talking to Roshi Kanet, and she's saying that there's a lot of ambivalence in Buddhist scriptures about women. And in some places you you see that you have to be born into a, a male body to be enlightened. And the Roshi responds and says, well, there's an interesting thing about that. It says you have to be reborn as a man once. What they don't mention is that you have to be reborn as a woman if you're a man, too, because you have to get beyond both. When you have a really deep religious understanding of Kensho, as it's called in Zoto Zen, this is what the Roshi says, you literally become male for a time in mind if you're female, and female for a time in mind if you're male. And so you can't have a Kensho, you can't reach enlightenment unless you knit the two together and get beyond them. They just tend to leave that bit out of the scripture. So somehow, the example of Ruth Bader Ginsburg as strong an advocate of equality for women as she was, as as a man, I am very taken by the fact that she is an advocate for equality for all peoples. There's something very, very important about that because it helps me perhaps think a little bit behind the male perspective, I hope. I hope we can get behind that because we're already too polarized, you know. Men and women have become too polarized in some ways, but we're really too polarized as a nation. When, when, when men and women love each other, it's a very beautiful thing because it's about complementarity. They complete each other. That's the way it should be around liberal and conservative views because the liberal view, the idea, liberal progressive view, let's say, because liberal, the very meaning just means liberated thinking, and that I think should be for everyone, really. Um, but a progressive view the idea is complementary to a conservative view in that there's two urges in nature, one to progress, one to conserve. We need both. We need both. We also have to become aware of the shadow side of both. For liberal progressives, liberal progressives contributed to to a lot of the environmental pollution that occurred in this world. I, I, I know that might sound... Harsh, but you know, it was the, the progressive mentality 
you know, that starts the Industrial Revolution, starts progress, scientific progress, scientific progress. Well, that that led to some despoiling of the environment. Now, in America, anyway, it's liberal progressives who are trying to clean up the environment. And it ought to be conservatives. Conservatives, going back to Edmund Burke, had a tie to the Romantics. They had a tie to the Romantics. They were the... They were the people who believed in human emotion as a balance to 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 just the rational thought. We need both rational thought and emotion. We need the mind. We need the heart. We need to combine them together. So even though Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death seems to be creating almost more polarization right now in the struggle to fill her seat, you know, and it. Before her body was cold, people were were tweeting and talking about her replacement. This really hurt. This was not right. Especially for a woman who who understood that you could disagree without being disagreeable, who had an abiding friendship with Justice Scalia, who couldn't be more different from her politically. And they both loved opera. We're blessed here in New Mexico. Sometimes Ruth Bader Ginsburg graced our graces with her presence coming to the Santa Fe Opera. I don't think polarization is going to be Ruth Bader Ginsburg's legacy. I don't think that her death is going to create more polarization. Maybe it seems like it now in the short term. But there was a greater purpose to her life and a greater purpose to her death. She died on Friday evening, September 18th, Shabbat. It was also Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. Now, there's a little controversy about the significance about that. You know, I... I've heard people say that the day you die is, is could be even more important than the day you were born in Judaism. Certainly the day that you die is what is celebrated um, af- after. And some people say that, that Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying on Shabbat, which is always considered a good omen, but also dying on Rosh Hashanah, may indicate that she was a sadiq, a holy one, a righteous one. I think she was a holy one, a righteous one. Whether that's in the Jewish tradition or not, I think that she is a sadiq. She did come here as a servant of God. And a sadiq is a little one that holds a lot. God, is that more, could that not be more appropriate with Ruth? Bader Ginsburg. She was a righteous one. She was Jewish, but she was also Catholic with a small c. She was a universalist. She represented a universal good in in human beings And I believe if she were Catholic, she would be canonized. I also believe that her legacy will not be polarization because Ruth Bader Ginsburg will be active in the spirit world. 
She will appear in people's dreams and visions. She will have an impact on events yet to unfold. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, whether what about her successor necessarily, although that might be something because that was her dying wish. It was her dying wish. And I have some breaking news for my listeners. Ruth Bader Ginsburg will not be replaced before the election. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, in fact, will not be replaced after the election because Ruth Bader Ginsburg is irreplaceable. Thank you. Thank you, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, for the example of your life. Thank you for all the ancestors for the example of their life. It's for the ancestors that we live for. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We'll return next week with our normal program, but this week I wanted to only speak of the meaning of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing. Thank you. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is irreplaceable. This program is made possible by Select Books, Waterside Publications, Bizgenics, and the Ecology Prime Media Channel. Native flute music by Orlando Secatero from the Pathways CD. The Liberty Song by artist Ron Cratter, written by Ron Cratter, Jim Casey, and Danny Casey. Post-production editing by Scout Media Strategies. The Circle for Original Thinking is a grassroots think tank whose mission is to is to seek out the deep origins of contemporary thought in order to remember and restore heart-centered wisdom for humanity and all our relations on Earth. For more information or to volunteer to help produce this podcast, go to original thinking.us or originalpolitics.us and you can find and purchase my books Original Thinking, Original Politics there. Thank you. Thank you for listening and until next week wishings of healing and well-being for everyone, for all Americans, for all people, for all the plants, animals, minerals, the light, air, water, and earth of this land. May this, may America be sacred again, both the nation and the land. Thank you, thank you, blessings to all.